This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom. Hi mom! Hi Chandler! Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very ready. Alright, let's begin. So by now, uh, many of you may be familiar with how this podcast works, but some of you may have forgotten, or we may have picked up a few new uh, followers on our journey. So I'll go ahead and uh, explain uh, that the way that this podcast works is that in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data, the birth time, uh, location, uh, and date, to my mom. Uh, she will enter it into the bat computer, and out will come out the uh, astrological birth chart of a random historical figure. Now, you, the listening and viewing audience, already know who this historical figure is. I, of course, know because I've selected this figure, but mom has no idea who this person is. Uh, she will then give us a blind uh, reading of the astrological birth chart, uh, tell us what she can on the motivations, character traits, fortunes uh, of this person, and then later on I will reveal who this historical figure is, and we will discuss uh, how accurate this chart is to the way that person led their life. So, uh, without further ado, let's begin. I'm ready. Uh, Okay, (laughs) Uh, so this will be a female. All right. Uh, born uh, on the 12th of May, 1907, at 5.47 p.m. Okay. Uh, The country is the United States. Uh, The birthplace is Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, Third option Mm -hmm. there. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, you definitely don't pick boring people, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh let's start. I was, you know, like to start with the north node. 
that is North Node in Cancer at 25 degrees and the ninth house. Hmm. Right. So ninth house can represent travel, philosophy, um, also conjunct Neptune. Neptune, 10 degrees. So this would be a person who is meant to nurture. People who have North Node and Cancer are natural nurturers. That's what they're supposed to do. Um, okay. Ninth house is ruled by Sagittarius. So... It could be a person that travels and nurtures, but also with Neptune conjunct by sign, North Node in Cancer. Could also be very creative with that nurturing. Um, Neptune is... Uh, Ruled by Pisces. I mean, Pisces is ruled by Neptune, which is like uh, imagination, um, uh, also psychic ability, things like that. So somehow this person is using their imagination maybe to nurture people. I don't know. It's a thought. That's where we're starting there. Okay. Okay. So... Uh, or nurture. Maybe it's a writer, person who uses their imagination. Uh, I don't know. I'll get back to that. Okay. So also this person has a sun and moon conjunct in Taurus and Mercury also in Taurus. Okay, so Sun, Moon, and Mercury in Taurus. Well, I'd have to say this person's probably very stubborn. <laughs> All that Taurus, whoa. <laughs> That's a very stubborn person. <laughs> and they're going to plow through like a bull in a china closet. They are going to do... And it's not like manipulative. They're like full on, like just let's bring it. Let's go. Let's mm -hmm. dance. Okay. Uh-huh. And it's in the seventh house, which is a house of partnerships. So <laughs> all I can say is whoever her partner was, wow, <laughs> they got a real dynamo here. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> I can just say, whoa. Because this person, uh, I can't see that this person would bend at all. Okay. This person would be like, mm, it's my way or it's my way. There's no okay. highway involved. I, this is what I think. Uh, because it's in the seventh house, so it's house of partnerships. Even if it was partnerships with, uh, you know, business or romantic partnerships, this person is going to be the dominant figure, period. Hmm. There's no way around that. Uh, okay. Unless there's some square to it, but it doesn't look like it. I mean, this person is... Uh, no major ordeals with that that I see. So um, this person also has Saturn in the fifth house. Saturn is where the lessons come from, right? So this person has Saturn in Pisces in the fifth house. Fifth house is ruled by uh, Leo. And uh, Saturn is your lessons, your life lessons, you know? So, uh, they somehow have lessons with children, lessons with show business, lessons with leadership, all the things that represent Leo. This person has to learn those lessons. And mm -hmm. uh, moving this way, they have Chiron in Aquarius in the fourth house. And Chiron is uh, the, um, like, teaching from lessons uh you know pain pain to teaching like 
what you, 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 the lessons that you learn that cause you pain, you then naturally should help other people with, you know, teaching through that. In this situation, this person has um, Chiron in Aquarius, which is very humanitarian in the fourth mm -hmm. house. So they would have initially had trauma at home, possibly, or even trauma from, I don't know, it, but the dark side of that is totalitarianism. So if there were totalitarianism at home, uh, that would be very traumatic. And then maybe this person would help other people with humanitarian efforts with their homes, maybe. Hmm. The country. I don't know. Uh Mars conjunct Uranus. Woo! Mars conjunct Uranus in the third house. In Capricorn. Mars in Capricorn. Uranus and Capricorn. <gasps> Literally conjunct. Man. Okay, so communications. Very. Uh, motivated communications that come from out of the blue. Because Uranus is just instant things like explosions or um someone like screaming something at a meeting or you know it's it's just not expected mm. it's unexpected oh. uranus rules um aquarius it's also humanitarian but in this instant conjunct mars like by degree within the orb it's conjunct mars which would put this person in a situation where they could be i don't know like a very vehement communicator very motivated communicator in Capricorn it would be well, dark side would be manipulative light side would be more uh, teaching maybe is any of this making sense yes oh <laughs> that's always a surprise because I have no idea <laughs> Okay, so let's go to sixth house, and sixth house is Venus in the sixth house. So this person must have loved to work. They love hmm. work. Uh, it's in Aries, so Venus in Aries in the sixth house would be. Oh, this person was very motivated, uh, like a workaholic, I would think. Seriously, mm -hmm. a workaholic, like. They love it. So whatever their career is, they really like it a lot. And they like things that Aries Aries likes. Like, um, I don't know. I almost want to say they could work in a place of opulence. But I don't know. It's Venus. It, they would like to. <laughs> Maybe they would like to work in a place of opulence. I don't know. Aries people like fancy things. Um... So, but sixth house is ruled by Virgo, right? So it can be work, it can be healing, uh, those kind of things. Um, good things, you know, like um, wanting to go to do good. Mm -hmm. Uh, then we have eighth house, which has Pluto. Is it conjunct? no because we still have Can jupiter and cancer so this jupiter and cancer at nine degrees even though it's in the eighth house it's kind of pairing up with these which is all like this person would have had very good fortune in pursuing their life's goals or they would have it would seem that perhaps they have uh uh the way kind of open for them in order mm -hmm. to pursue what they're trying to do. Uh, Pluto in Gemini in the eighth house. 
So doing the eighth house in general is just like a double whammy because the eighth house is ruled by Scorpio and Scorpio is ruled by Pluto. But Pluto and Gemini would represent Gem Gemini things, communications, uh, yeah, communications and, 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 and comedy and, um, uh, well, then Gemini can also. The and, and what 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 does it mean for communications and comedy? Um, Just power. that they're good at it. Or well, so it's power powerful because it's Pluto. So Pluto is a, either going to be one of two things. It's only it's either going to be power, full blown power, or it's going to be death and rebirth, death and rebirth, death and rebirth, like. You, mm -hmm. Like the phoenix, right? So this person could right. get to a level, burn down, and then grow, come back up again, and burn down, and then come back up again. But in the eighth house, I want to say this person was more powerful, but mm -hmm. really good at communications. It could be very powerful with communications, negotiations, interpretations. Every uh, it could be it could be uh, airwaves, anything on the airwaves, radio television anything that 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 works on that level with gemini which is an air sign of communications right mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah okay so also this person has scorpio rising so i can only imagine that this person would have been very alluring that this was this would be a person who even if they weren't necessarily considered beautiful you know how you think oh well this is beautiful and you know you say it's in the eye of the beholder but mm -hmm. this person could be very i guess sexy mm -hmm. uh, without even trying yeah. right this person wouldn't even necessarily have to try they just are it just is right right mm -hmm. so um i think i've done all of the houses that have planets in them. So, do you have any questions? Um. Oh, one more thing. This person mm -hmm. has Leo on their midhaven. Having Leo on their midhaven would also make them very prone to show business. Or that okay. arena. An arena of uh, leadership and entertainment. But also maybe children too. But they have that fifth house Saturn. So, Either way, there's some sort of performance ability involved here. And maybe, I mean, because your Midhaven is kind of like your career, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, what, would, uh, what would the role of home and family play to this person? Well, this person could have had a tragic beginning in their mm -hmm. home. But then I think if they if they work try around the way it's supposed to be, you learn from this and then you nurture others. So mm -hmm. it should have been that this person would have perhaps had a tragic childhood, maybe, but then done what they could to nurture their own family. Okay, does, does that make sense? Mm hmm. Okay. Um. Is this uh, a timid person? No, I would say no. I would okay. not think this was a timid person. But having Scorpio on that first house, they might not be super duper gregarious when you first meet them. But uh, mm -hmm. all this, yeah, I can't imagine that this is a timid person. Um, what would her response be to fear? I don't think this person is afraid of anything. I would want to go on a battlefield with this person. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you would uh, get along with this person very well. <laughs> I would not. I would go anywhere. This person probably carries weapons. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what kind of person would she be attracted to as a uh, romantic partner? Well... On one hand, you have, you know, her Mars is in Capricorn. So it is possible she could be attracted to a Capricorn type of person. What does that mean? Um, kind of a father figure, maybe. Okay. 
uh someone who might be older than her um maybe significantly older than her i'm not sure but Mm -hmm. whoever this person is would have to deal with all this because this Uh is a lot to deal with so this person would have to really be able to handle her you know then on the other side of that is she could be attracted but honestly i think she would be attracted to her usually when you have a heterosexual um chart and you look at for a woman you look at the mars and that's the kind of man they want and she has mars in capricorn right in the middle at 15 degrees in her third house uh i would imagine that she would either be interested in being with someone who was a capricorn or being with someone who was at least an earth sign most likely older than her older than her okay does that make sense yes yeah um how does this person respond to people well uh in general uh this person doesn't have anything really in their 11th house which would be groups of people but uh-huh. their 11 house cusp is uh uh virgo so i would assume that they would be okay with groups of people that they wouldn't have like any major issues but virgo is very analytical right so if there were groups of people this person would probably approach them <laughs> like if they had to speak or interact with them they would take a very analytical ap- approach to it possibly and say okay and be very organized with whatever they were going to do with that situation okay it all depends because they also have that that changes in the middle to libra right and then we have it Mm -hmm. um working its way around so it it depends on i guess wherever all the transits are at the time but this person could also um i don't know be kind of benevolent with people you know, be okay. uh, kind of creative and benevolent with them, maybe. Uh, how would this person respond to praise or criticism? Hmm. Praise or criticism. Well, Scorpio rising is not necessarily going to give you a great ability to deal with criticism. They would deal very well with praise. (laughs) (laughs) Like they would really like it a lot. Um, Scorpios do like to be praised. So I would think with having Leo on the Midhaven and Scorpio on the first house, they would probably do very well with praise Maybe not so much with criticism. Okay. I would think maybe they would... Uh, this person might internalize that criticism. I don't know that they would... But I don't know. They got that Pluto and Gemini in the 8th house. They might just just pop off. Anything could happen with them <laughs> with that Pluto and Gemini. But it's not Mercury. You know, they have Mercury in, in, in Taurus. So they could fight them. <laughs> fight them i don't know that taurus is rough um would this person lead a sedentary life i don't think so this person likes to go and attack things i -hmm. think i think this person likes to i mean with leo on on the midhaven uh, i i don't think this person would lead a sedentary life i think this person is a very dynamic very driven kind of person would this person enjoy motherhood Mm. this person might need to learn motherhood it has saturn in the fifth house so that would mean that um it could this person could see motherhood as a lesson to be learned 
as opposed to like if you have moon in the fifth house you're you're born to be a mother mm-hmm. right you you that's what you want right. you want to in, enjoy that whole experience and you know really relish it this person might have found it a little bit difficult to be a mother this person might have found it very uh lesson wise challenging does that make sense yes uh, but even even so i mean that saturn they're learning lessons doesn't mean they're bad lessons you know it's just that i don't think it came as natural for this person as another person mm-hmm. uh how would this person respond to men and vice versa i think men would have been very attracted to this person because she's so independent I think that men uh, would be attracted. I mean, Scorpio rising, I don't think you cannot be attracted to a Scorpio rising person. They're naturally um, attractive and and they, they literally attract the opposite sex, maybe even the same sex. But I mean, I think that men would have been pursuing her. Uh, I think that she <laughs> might dominate them. Uh, she certainly has the power to dominate them. But Taurus is also ruled by Venus, which is love. So she could have had many uh, suitors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so uh, at this point, uh, there is a definite connection between this person and our last episode, Eleanor of Aquitaine. I'd uh, like to see what what similarities there are in their charts. Okay. So you want me to go back and forth? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, one similarity is that Eleanor of Aquitaine had a mountain of conjunct planets conjunct her sun right and mm-hmm. her north node she has north node conjunct neptune also right mm-hmm. and she has this in the eighth house so she has a really heavy eighth house which was you know leadership and 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 uh power mm-hmm. power is eighth house it's anything ruled by scorpio could be death and rebirth too uh this person has pluto conjunct jupiter in the eighth house and eleanor has a lot of the planets that this person has in their uh, eighth and ninth house. Um, the difference with Eleanor is that she was she had Capricorn rising, so she was more, I want to say, sophisticated, mm-hmm. uh, not at, more elegant uh-huh. than this person. This person would have been more. Uh, seductive i guess Hmm. uh or not necessarily but but maybe people thought of her as a more with more sex appeal okay okay um i mean eleanor has this huge eighth house right which is just pure power. This person has Pluto conjunct Jupiter in the eighth house, which isn't as powerful. Okay. But this person has uh, all these planets in Taurus in the seventh house, which would have made her a powerful partner. Uh, just powerful. Uh, is there anything in spe- specific that you want me to look at between the two of them? No. No, I just wanted to compare, contrast. Okay, so this Eleanor has Pluto conjunct Jupiter in the third house, and this person has Pluto conjunct Jupiter in the eighth house in Gemini. Eleanor has it in um, Pluto conjunct Jupiter in Taurus. So in this situation, Eleanor would have been more stubborn in her communications, Mm -hmm. more powerful in her communications where this person uh has their pluto conjunct jupiter 
in Gemini, which would have made them a powerful communicator, not because, uh, because it is in Gemini. You know what I mean? Okay. Over here, it's because it's in the third house. Okay. Right? So there are similarities um, between the two. Uh, looking up. Yeah. Uh, Eleanor doesn't really have anything in the fifth house. She has Gemini ruling her fifth house. Uh, is there anything else you wanted me to address with that? No, I just want to take a look, and I think uh, we're ready to summarize some of the major points uh, that you pointed out during this initial reading. Okay. Uh, so, uh, this person, um, a natural nurturer, uh, travel, uh, creative and nurturing, a very imaginative person. Uh, this person is very stubborn, uh, like a bull in a china shop. And she is stubborn in her relationships. There is only her way. Uh, there are lessons to be learned with show business. Uh, early in her life, there was trauma at home. Uh, communications. Uh, motivated in communications. A very ve vehement communicator. Someone who loves to work. Uh, work in a place of opulence. A good fortune in pursuing life goals. Uh, power in uh, community, oh, in communications, power in communications and comedy. Someone who's very alluring. Uh, someone who is very prone to show business. Uh, possible tragic beginning. Uh, someone who'd be attracted to a father figure. Uh, this woman was independent. Uh, men and women might be attracted to her. Are there any other things I, I left out of that summary? No, that's pretty good. Uh, would you like to know whose chart you were looking at? Yes. So first, before I reveal the name, I will let you know that the connection between uh, this woman and Eleanor of Aquitaine, uh, this woman uh, was an actress. And she won an Academy Award for portraying Eleanor of Aquitaine. <gasps> That's so cool! You are looking at the astrological birth chart of Catherine Hepburn. <gasps> oh my god! That's so good! It makes perfect sense that it's her! That's very good. Oh my! Is it ever very good? Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Catherine Houghton Hepburn uh, was born May 12, 1907 in Hartford, Connecticut. She was the second of six children. Uh, her family uh, was a very progressive, some would say even radical family. Uh, her mother, uh, Catherine Martha Houghton, uh, was a fiercely independent woman. Uh, she was the first in her family to attend college. Uh, she went to Bryn Mawr. Uh, when she was growing up, she wanted to uh, attend college, and uh, she was in a very blue-blood uh, Connecticut family. Her family said that she should not uh, go to college, uh, that that is not what ladies do, but she was determined to go to college anyway. Uh, Catherine Houghton was a suffragette. Uh, she was a fierce campaigner for social issues, and she was a known associate of Margaret Sanger. Uh, she campaigned for women's and social issues, including birth control and the right to vote. Uh, she married Thomas Hepburn, who was a doctor. He was a urologist. Um, the story goes that uh, Catherine Houghton uh, saw Thomas uh, diving off of a uh, dock uh, into a, a lake. He was swimming in the lake, and she pointed at that man and said, I'm going to marry that man, and made it so. And she uh, was definitely a, a go-getter, and, and she married Thomas Hepburn. Uh, Catherine uh, Hepburn had a very happy childhood. 
uh, her dinner table, uh, there are stories of the dinner table where the parents were very encouraging to all the children to uh, uh, share their ideas uh, uh, as long as they were appropriate to the conversation. Uh, share your thoughts and ideas on all the things that are being discussed. And honestly, I think it just would have been fascinating to be a fly on the wall looking at the Hepburn's dinner table, seeing a young Catherine Hepburn uh, interacting with her family, but also interacting with all of the great luminaries of the progressive era. Uh, all of these uh, great minds of the 19-teens would often stop by the Hepburn's dinner table uh, and interacting with a young Catherine Hepburn. Uh, she was uh, encouraged to think for herself, act for herself, um, the one thing that Catherine Hepburn's mother uh, really wanted for her uh, firstborn daughter was for her not to get married and not to have children. Uh, she wanted Catherine Hepburn to uh, experience all the things that life had to offer outside of a relationship with uh, a man, outside of being held down by a family. Uh, Catherine Hepburn was known as a tomboy. Uh, she was very athletic. Uh, she could always be seen running, climbing trees, swimming. Uh, she became a golf pro. Uh, this is uh, uh, the 19-teens and 20s. Uh, it was unheard of for women to play golf. Golf stands for Gentlemen Only, Ladies Forbidden. And Catherine Hepburn loved uh, playing this sport. Uh, as a young child, she uh, uh, wanted her hair to be cut very short, and she wanted people to call her Jimmy. Uh, she idolized her older brother, Tommy. Uh, Tommy, uh, the eldest of the Hepburn children, uh, was described as a very serious uh, young man. And um, one of the stories that most affected uh, Catherine Hepburn's life happened when she was 13 years old. Um, her and Tommy uh, went to visit their grandparents in New York City. And uh, Tommy was uh, not just serious, he was very depressed. And uh, at the age of 15, he hung himself uh, during no. this uh, trip to New York City. Oh, no. And Catherine, at the age of 13, was the one to discover his body. Oh, no. Uh, this had a profound impact uh, on her life. Uh, from then on, uh, she never celebrated her birthday in May, which was the actual day mm -hmm. of her birth. She celebrated her birthday on Tommy's birthday. Oh. Um, she uh, couldn't go back to school. Uh, she had problems socializing, interacting uh, with her fellow students, and she had to have a private tutor for the rest of her uh, high school. Uh, she uh, would eventually get through high school and then attended uh, her mother's alma mater, uh, Bryn Mawr. And uh, while she was there, uh, her first uh, couple of semesters, she was still suffering uh, from this depression. She was very isolated, was always seen studying alone, wasn't very uh, good at interacting uh, with her fellow students. Uh, but uh, over the summer, between her freshman and sophomore year, uh, she discovered her love of acting. And in fact, she announced to her family that summer that she was going to be an actress. And her father was very upset about this. Uh, Thomas Hepburn uh, thought that uh, acting was just uh, one baby step above prostitution. Uh, that it could be, you know, the, the worst thing that a young woman could get involved in. But Catherine Hepburn was uh, determined uh, to become an actress, and she started uh, uh, performing in school plays uh, and uh, uh, getting uh, rave reviews in these school plays and uh, decided that she was going to continue her career in acting after she graduated and uh, started uh, getting small roles and plays all across the United States. Uh, during this time, uh, she married her college friend, uh, Luddy. Uh, they would be married for six years, and he was known as being a very supportive husband, um, but he, uh, uh, while he supported her in all of her acting uh, opportunities, uh, he always thought that this was just a phase, that eventually she would come home and want to be just a regular domesticated <laughs> wife, and he was in for a real surprise. 
<laughs> uh, so uh, Catherine Hepburn uh, kept getting uh, roles on and off Broadway throughout the 20s and 30s. Uh, her breakout role uh, was in The Warrior Husband. Uh, she played an Amazon warrior, and her entrance onto the stage, uh, she came onto the stage wearing full Amazon warrior armor and uh, carrying a stag over her shoulders. Uh, she threw the stag onto the stage floor and then wrestled her husband to the ground. <laughs> That's great. Uh, that is how uh, she was discovered, uh, uh, portraying this role. Uh, she was assigned uh, to a contract uh, to RKO Pictures. Uh, her first film was Bill of Divorcement uh, with John Barrymore. Um, this was a great success. And then uh, she did another film. And then by her third film, the third motion picture she had ever made, she won the Academy Award for Best Actress. She was 26 years old. That's amazing. Catherine Hepburn uh, was known as the epitome of the modern woman of the 1930s. Uh, one of the things that set her apart was that she wore pants. Uh, for us today, it's hard for us to really uh, conceptualize uh, how uh, much uh, of an amazing thing this was, how out of the ordinary for a woman to wear pants. Uh, in fact, there were only three famous women who were known for wearing pants. Uh, Marlena Dietrich, Greta mm -hmm. Garbo, and Catherine mm -hmm. Hepburn. Mm -hmm. What set Hepburn apart was that Dietrich and Garbo were using pants as a uh, tool, that they were playing around with gender norms. A lot of times they were wearing uh, tuxedos and mm -hmm. uh, using this male garment as a way to... Uh, 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 emphasize their sexuality. Mm -hmm. Hepburn wore jeans because she mm -hmm. felt comfortable wearing jeans. She was just being herself. She wasn't using mm -hmm. this as any great tool to achieve anything. She just felt comfortable wearing jeans, and so she did. At one point, one of the uh, people on the studio lot, uh, one of the producers, was so upset that she was wearing pants that he went into the dressing room and took them away. So Catherine Hepburn went without pants and without <laughs> just in her underwear until someone returned her jeans. I love it. Uh, Catherine Hepburn continued making uh, films uh, throughout the mid to late 30s, uh, but quickly fell into a slump. Uh, RKO didn't really know what to do with her. They had had great success with her first three films, but... Um, quickly started putting her into these period dramas. And later on in her career, she would do very well with uh, Shakespeare. But at this point, she was being herself as the epitome of the modern 1930s woman, and RKO was pushing her into these Shakespearean, Elizabethan roles, and it did not work out very well. The movies didn't make a lot of money. In 1938, uh, she was included in an article... Uh, that labeled uh, many uh, actors in Hollywood as box office poison. Uh, so Catherine Hepburn was included with Marlena Dietrich, Greta Garbo, Joan Crawford, Fred Astaire, all as people that uh, if you put them in the movie, the movie is going to lose money. Oh, no. Now, me personally, I would love to be included in a list with Fred Astaire and Joan Crawford. Uh, but this article really had an impact and uh, really all of her jobs started drying up. Eventually, uh, she uh, decided to buy herself out of her contract. Uh, so back then, uh, movie stars uh, did not get to make any movie they wanted with any studio, with any director. Uh, the studios bought these people and said that you had to make these certain movies uh, uh, either this many years or this many movies before you can be released. And she decided that the people at RKO were not uh, managing her career very well. And so she took up her own money, bought herself out of the contract, and left Hollywood. Uh, she went to Broadway. And luckily, at the same time, uh, one of her friends, Philip Berry, wrote a role in a play specifically for her. And that play uh, was The Philadelphia Story. Uh, and this was a tremendous hit on Broadway. 
uh, with the help of her on-again, off-again uh, boyfriend, Howard Hughes, uh, mm-hmm. she uh, bought the film rights to this play. She then went to Hollywood and negotiated with Louis B. Mayer for the production of this movie. This is in 1941, and a mm-hmm. woman is going up to Louis B. Mayer, one of the most powerful men in the industry, and telling him who's going to be in this movie, that she's going to star in this movie, and uh, that Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant were going to star alongside her. Uh, Mm -hmm. Unheard of at this time. And Mm -hmm. uh, they made The Philadelphia Story, and it is one of the greatest uh, romantic comedies. It's one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, uh, The three, I mean... Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn. It, it's its perfect. It's a wonderful mm-hmm. movie. Uh, she followed this up that very same year in 1941 uh, by developing her own project. Uh, so she had found the story uh, uh, for Woman of the Year, and she uh, was the one uh, who said that that was going to be a film and that she was going to be in that film, and that the person that she would star uh who would co-star with her would be Spencer Tracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had never worked with Spencer Tracy before, but Tracy was already by that time known as one of the greatest actors in Hollywood. Um, Their first meeting occurred on the lot uh, as uh, pre-production was starting for this film. Uh, Tracy was wearing heels and uh, was uh, taller than uh, Spencer Tracy when she was wearing uh, her heels and uh, came up to Tracy for the first time and said, oh, I believe I'm going to be too tall for you, Mr. Tracy. (laughs) And uh, Tracy just smiled and said, I think I'll cut you down to size. Ooh. And that started a relationship, uh, a professional and personal romantic relationship that would last over 25 years. Uh, During the filming of uh, Woman of the Year, she uh, would actually try and and catch uh, Spencer Tracy, try and uh, catch him off guard. At one point, uh, they were filming a scene and she spilled a glass of water uh, during the scene, which was not supposed to happen. Uh, Tracy handed her a handkerchief and she started uh, uh, cleaning up the spill, went underneath the table to clean up the spill. All the time she's saying her lines as she's doing this, thinking that this is going to mess Spencer Tracy up. Spencer Tracy just smiles and does the scene just the way it was supposed to be. And that is the take that is in the movie. (laughs) Uh, So their professional success would be uh, nine movies together. And their personal romance uh, that would last over 25 years, uh, many uh, describe them as pure soulmates. Um, Now, Spencer Tracy was married this entire time. Uh, He was a a very religious Irish Catholic and would never get a divorce from his wife, especially because he had a young son uh, who was deaf. And uh, he never wanted to do anything to try and break up that family. So their whole relationship was kept a secret. And all of Hollywood kept it a secret. Uh, This is a time of Hedda Hopper and these gossip columnists all knew about it and decided they would not write about it, that they would just let them uh, uh, live their lives. Um, There are so many stories about their relationship together. A lot of people point out that uh, Spencer Tracy was uh, older than her and acted as a father figure, uh, gave her the same approval or lack of approval that that her own father did. Um, Spencer Tracy hung out with what a lot of people would call the Irish Mafia. So these were all these uh, Irish movie stars. like Bing Crosby and uh, Jimmy Cagney, and they would get together in clubs and play cards. And one of these times, uh, they were playing cards, and Catherine Hepburn stormed into this game and gave uh, Spencer Tracy what for, telling him all the things he was doing wrong and fussing at him. And no one had ever seen a woman come into this uh, card game and uh, (laughs) talk to a man like that. And uh, Jimmy Cagney uh, said that uh, Spencer Tracy smiled, and he said, Red, sit down and shut up. And she did. (laughs) And Jimmy Cagney had never seen any man talk to Catherine Hepburn that way. Uh, So they were just perfect for each other. Um, 
in the 1950s, uh, she uh, was caught up in, in the Red Scare. Uh, the uh, House Un-American Activities Committee was trying to find communists uh, who were uh, distributing propaganda in Hollywood. And uh, her name and uh, uh, Spencer Tracy's came up. Uh, following in her uh, father and mother's footsteps, she was very progressive. She was very left-leaning. Um, she at one time made a speech for uh, Henry Wallace. Uh, Henry Wallace was the uh, Democrat uh, running for president in 1948, who was to the left of Harry Truman. So very uh, progressive, left-leaning candidate. And she had the uh, misfortune of making uh, this speech in a pink dress. Uh, so it all, everyone wanted to label her a pinko commie. And uh, so the House Un-American Activities Committee was going to bring up Tracy and Hepburn uh, to uh, uh, see if they could name names of other communists in the entertainment industry. Um, and so they were about to get a subpoena, and uh, their savior came from a very unlikely source, uh, Congressman from California, Richard Milhouse Nixon, uh, was the one to say, no, we are not going to give a subpoena to Tracy and Hepburn. Uh, they have done so much for America with uh, all the things that they've done during the war effort. They are off limits. We're not going to uh, drag them up against this committee. Uh, I'm sure neither of them ever voted for him for anything, but it's very interesting that uh, Nixon was the one to get in the way there. In 1951, uh, Catherine Hepburn was entering middle age, and this is uh, something that's a big no-no in Hollywood uh, for women to even approach 40. Um, but uh, she continued making hit after hit. In 1951, she made The African Queen. This is, again, mm -hmm. one of the greatest movies ever made. I just saw it over the summer. It is Humphrey Bogart and Katherine Hepburn. Uh, they are directed by John Huston. And the stories of making this film in the middle of Africa uh, uh, with uh, John Huston and uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart, who were drunk out of their minds all the time. Uh, Catherine Hepburn knew that they were going to do this and uh, knew that she had there had to be one Soba one on the set. And so <laughs> she uh, decided that she would not have one drop of alcohol. All she would do would drink the water. So she suffered from all of the diseases that come from <gasps> drinking the water in Africa. If you watch the movie, there's a scene at the beginning where she is playing the organ and her body is shaking and she is sweating. Uh, uh, she is suffering from dysentery at the time that they are filming this. Mm. They have a bucket next to her so that she can vomit, come back up, play more, take Ugh. another take, and, and get through that scene that way. You know who didn't get sick? Humphrey Bogard and John <laughs> Huston. Because they didn't drink the water, they drank whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> that's great uh she continued making a great film uh throughout the 1950s and 60s in 1967 uh she uh made the movie uh, guess who's coming to dinner uh with sydney portier and uh her own uh uh niece uh Catherine houghton and Spencer Tracy. This would, in fact, be the last pairing of Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Uh, Tracy would pass away two weeks after filming uh, was over. Um, and this is another great movie uh, of, of the times of the civil rights era of these two California uh, progressive-minded people who have a daughter who wants to marry an African-American doctor and uh, has to, you know, throw all of what they believe in do they actually believe in equality and all these things and it is a great movie um and she won her second academy award uh for uh that movie uh, her work started to uh, fade down in the 1970s uh did a lot more stage work uh, in the 70s um, in 1973, she did her first uh, television interview with Dick Cavett. I encourage everyone to watch this. It is a fantastic interview. She's running roughshod over Dick Cavett on all these questions. <laughs> Eventually, you just sit and you look at Dick and you're like, 
please just get out of the way and let her talk. It is, uh, 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 it's on YouTube. I encourage everyone to watch it. Um, in 1968, uh, she uh, made The Lion in Winter. This is her connection to Eleanor of Aquitaine. She plays Eleanor of Aquitaine in The Lion in Winter. Uh, Peter O'Toole plays Henry II. Uh, 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 it is a fantastic film, um, and Catherine Hepburn does not sound anything like how Eleanor of Aquitaine actually sounds. <laughs> Uh, Eleanor probably had a French accent. Catherine Hepburn did not change her voice one bit, but she still won her third Academy Award for playing uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine. She actually tied uh, with uh, Miss Barbara Streisand. It's one of the only times that there's been a tie at the Academy Awards. And uh, Mm. she tied uh, with Barbara Streisand for Best Actress in 1968. Uh, Her fourth uh, Oscar win would come from On Golden Pond, Another fantastic mm. film, 1981. It was Henry Fonda's last film. Uh, Jane Fonda uh, is in it. Um, to this day, there is no other actress, not Meryl Streep or anybody, who has won four Academy Awards for Best Actress. That title, mm-hmm. that record, is still held by Katherine Hepburn. Uh, her career covered over six decades. Uh, 12 Academy Award nominations and four wins. Um, She is known as one of the best actresses, one of the best to practice her craft in the 20th century. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, If you have not seen uh, one of her movies, I encourage you all to uh, see Bringing Up Baby uh, or Guess Who's Coming to Dinner or any of these films. Uh, It's a... She's just a tremendous person. Uh, I watched Bringing Up Baby uh, recently, uh, preparing for this episode, Mm -hmm. and fell in love with her all over again. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just a a fantastic woman, a true independent spirit. And uh, I think that our chart here really gets very, uh, very close uh, uh, to to who this woman was. And it was uh, all set out there. Yeah, it's very interesting. And the sad part is about her brother, this tragedy and trauma in the home early on. And uh, her nurturing ability, you know, through her talent. And uh, she's just amazing. And the older man, uh, Spencer Tracy, it's very interesting what's in your chart. Very interesting. Are there uh, any other things in the chart that uh, make a little more sense now that uh, that you know who it is? Well, you asked about motherhood, but clearly her she was connected to show business. It was her, it was her life. You know, it was it was her lesson. She had to do it, and she had Saturn in the fifth house. Yeah, she actually so. did not uh, have children, uh, she, mm-hmm. and she did not get married again after uh, her divorce with Luddy. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, a, a lot of times the, uh, the, the children in show business go together. And I think that she also talks about, uh, after her brother died, she was the eldest, uh, of the siblings and she took on sort of a motherly role, uh, in the family mm-hmm. and nurturing the siblings and, uh, all of her, uh, nephews and nieces talk about, uh, the role that she played in, in helping, them grow up but she Mm -hmm. saw it very much as uh uh, she could either focus on her work or she could have uh, a family and she decided Mm -hmm. to focus on her work Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's saturn saturn in the fifth house yeah she's amazing she's truly amazing and and i hope that the description that i gave of her uh makes sense for uh who she was yeah, I, I think it absolutely does. I think uh, on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space is another one right on the money. This is definitely <laughs> uh, who Catherine Hepburn was. Mm-hmm. Very. It's an honor to do her chart. It really is. Uh, well, uh, that concludes uh, this episode of History and Retrograde. I'd like to uh, thank you all for listening and watching. 
Um, if you do uh, like this uh, podcast, please uh, like, share, subscribe to the channel for uh, more content like this in the future. Um, if you're uh, on Apple Podcasts, uh, you know, this uh, podcast is all about stars, so please give us all five stars. Uh, give us a rating and a review. And uh, until next time, if uh, all your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Thank you for listening. Blessings to you all. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.